All right, let's pause and pray. Father God, we bring thanks, we bring praise, we ask for your spirit to come and teach our hearts from your word. We ask that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness and renew a right spirit within us. Father, that you would even uncover any grievous way in us and make known to us um, the path of righteousness away from such things. And we are going to read this passage and we're going to hope in your word and your promise of what you declare to sinners and how they may be free and how we may be found not guilty. And that may we find in that that to you alone belong the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We're back in Matthew, coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> and we find, in context, verses 21 through 23, which I continue to remind us, do not divorce from what we have previously read and studied in this sermon. So the problem that we last found the last time we were in the Sermon on the Mount was the ravenous wolves, the false prophets who enter in uh, in sheep's clothing in the midst of God's people, in the midst of God's flock. And they bring destruction and they're known by the fruits of destruction that they bring. And even sometimes that might be hard to recognize, but there's a promise that Jesus will cut down and throw into the fire those trees that bear no good fruit. So he is aware of all those who are not his. He knows his flock um, individually, just like he can name the stars. He knows all those that are His. He's already written their names in the book of life, and He watches over them. And so the only fooling or the only um, wool being pulled over our eyes um, happens on a horizontal level. It doesn't happen on a vertical level, you know, which, again... Uh, reveals the hearts of false prophets and ravenous wolves don't truly believe because they exercise no fear of God, even in the midst of His very people. So that sort of thing is not a part of their inner being. And then there are some who might not even recognize in what state their heart and soul are in. And may in fact think that by the works that they do, that they are allowed into the kingdom of heaven when the time comes. Now that's a very key statement. Because 
what we understand about our faith through the Bible is that no one is righteous but through faith. And that once that cleansing, that justification occurs by the grace of God through that faith, then we are given this new heart and enlivened with His Spirit and we go forth in works that He prepared beforehand. But before all of that, before all of that work, there is a justification and a rebirth that takes place. So when we get to verse 21 and we talk about entering the kingdom of heaven, understand first of all from John 3 in that discussion that Jesus has with Nicodemus, nobody enters the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That is first and foremost the prerequisite for getting in, if you will. You must be born again. So to think that everything will be okay because you're doing okay is not what you should rest on when you think about the kingdom of heaven. What you are alone to rest on is Jesus' righteousness freely, graciously, benevolently, mercifully, transferred to you when you weren't even looking for it. In other words, God has unmeritoriously decided that you must be born again. So we live a life like Paul, where we go forth by the power of the Spirit to do these things that he's called us to do, these things he's prepared beforehand, but we find our joy, our peace, our assurance of salvation in what Jesus has said and not in our track record of good works. Now, we understand also that there must be good works, that even backing up to the previous verses, there must be fruit, and we're told what that fruit looks like. And, and here's where the deception comes in in our culture of Christianity in America. We, we are a culture who is obsessed with more and more and more. We're a culture that's obsessed with abundance. We're a culture that's obsessed with prestige, and those who have prestige are those who have abundance. It doesn't matter what they do, just they have a lot. So therefore, they're the prestigious of our society. And that gets transferred or it sneaks into the church when we think that by the number of people that attend, we are certainly fruitful. Well, that might not be the case. Maybe that a lot of people are remaining blind and being led by other blind men and women, and they're all in it together, headed over the cliff. What we mean by fruit is that which truly honors and reflects God. It's, it's simply those things listed in Galatians 5.22, those fruits that once displayed benefit others. And if God so chooses to bring abundance, whether in number or whether in, in uh, monetary gain or whatever the case may be that's up to him but but the faithful fruit of those who actually follow christ and know christ are those 
things that issue forth from a pure, righteous heart and dwelt by His Spirit. That love and that joy and that peace and that patience and that kindness and that goodness and that faithfulness and that self-control. In other words, those things that come forth from our heart tell a redemptive story in our lives. They, they tell people that something supernatural has occurred to make us something that we are naturally not. And as a Christian and as a pastor, it terrifies me when I see uh, those who name themselves as brothers and sisters and their life does not tell a redemptive story. And that problem starts with false prophets, right? And so, like we've said many times before, every New Testament letter deals with false teaching because it will happen, because Satan is about blinding the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So he, as long as this world is continuing until the final day, he will be at work as sovereignly allowed by God, and he will be doing that very thing in these very subtle ways that we talked about when we looked at verses 15 through 20. And he will begin to shift the message where you may have people that, that do name the name of Jesus, that do say Christian things, that do even say gospel things, but their fruit tells another story. The subtlety of their ways are influenced and informed by Satan himself, and so they know how to blind the minds while making people believe that they are aware and awakened to God and who he is. And you wonder how to snuff out those subtleties and that deception. And we've talked about that, and you go, can go revisit that message. But, but basically, it's, it's not um, as tough as you think it may be. We're told by God that He Himself will be our teacher. And He has recorded His word in a book and he has maintained the publication of that book throughout the centuries despite man's efforts to annihilate it so that what john says at the end of his gospel so that we may know that we are in him that we have salvation by understanding the things that he's said by understanding who he is and by following uh, the God and the Jesus of this Bible. So deception abounds, but His Word abounds all the more. And, and, I'll, and I, I've been saying it often, and I'll say it again, that all comes down to what you want. And if what you want is to know God, like to know Him, to, to have relationship with Him, to understand Him, he never turns anybody away from that. He will get you that knowledge. He will open up that knowledge to you. When I first started, one of my great concerns is that I wouldn't be able to understand. That these things are too 
high and too lofty for me and it'd be really hard. This is a really big book and big books uh, intimidate me and I don't, I don't know how to understand a God who is compressed in these pages. But an a, but a overwhelming reality um, came rushing in with those thoughts. He promises to teach us. He promises to make himself known to those who seek him. But what do you want? And that tells a big story in your heart. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know, I think this was one of the main problems or the main problem that Jesus had with the Jews and especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees when he came into first century Palestine. It is, it is this idea that because they, because they identify with a name through genealogy and because they abide by a law or so they think abide by a law, that to them belongs the kingdom of heaven. And in no way, shape, or form is that the story that you get from Israel's history. If you go to Hosea, and especially chapter 8, the Lord is telling them, look, guys, you, you, you say that, that we are Israel. We know you. And then they do all of these wicked things. And they bow down to gods made by the hands of men, craftsmen in Israel, he says. And he indicts them, actually, for their unbelief. And he says, I don't know you. They, they depend on human effort. They rely on their ability to know God instead of his grace to make himself known to us. What, what the gospel does when it transforms somebody into a born-again believer is it humbles them to place them in a right position before God. It, it gives them eyes to see the sin of their heart and the glory of God and how the two don't match up except in the fact that Jesus rectifies all that. And it makes us those humble, amazed, worshipful people. Hopefully, it no longer makes us think highly of ourselves. Now, what he's saying in verse 21 is, there are people who are going to be shocked on the last day that they are found to be false. In other words, they thought they were his, but they never were, which is a scary place to be. And I think mostly um, that's going to come in the form of those, some of those false prophets are going to just be shocked. They had these great giant ministries here on earth, and they saw lots of people come under these ministries, and they're going to be blown away that they are not allowed to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
That's a, that's a true reality that's coming. That it's not open to everyone. It's open to his sheep. It's open to those he knows. It's, it's open to those who he has called, redeemed, and who therefore then walk in the will of God. So some people are going to say, Lord, they're going to they're recognize him as such. They're going to name his name. They're going to double down on it. It's kind of like, you know, I was upset with Lifeway a few years ago because in, the, in their bookstore, they would just have shelves of books from anybody who said God's name. Any celebrity, if any celebrity ever mentioned God's name, they must be a Christian, and so let's write a book about it and sell it. <laughs> Their fruit has shown that that is not at all the case. Why do we do that? We, we, we think that just because some sports star or something on TV mentions the man upstairs, he must be a, a Christian role model. No, not ever the case. A disciple is a learner of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. He is not ashamed to uh, describe and, and live in light of who he is in front of men. He's not afraid to be very specific about who he is. He's not afraid to be very specific about why he lives and does the things he does. He's not afraid to be very specific about what it means for you to follow Jesus. Because lots of false prophets and demons know the name of God and acknowledge it. But the kingdom of heaven is not theirs. But he says, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That, that is essentially those who follow Jesus. Because what did Jesus say? That his food was to do the will of him who sent me. So then the desire of those who are born again and justified and made ready to enter the kingdom of God are then those who go forth, uh, acknowledging that their life is now about doing His will. That we all find ourselves where we find ourselves, doing the things that we do because He commissioned and sent us as His ambassadors in whatever shape or form that takes. And, and we do things with our money and we do things with our time because he wills it. Or we simply acknowledge that all of our life is for him, belongs to him, is to be lived to him and mainly through him, right? And so every, we, we, we structure our whole life around him. Or maybe you don't. But doing the will of God is holding with open hands our lives and asking Him to fill it with His will. What do you want? Not what I want. What do you want? That's, that's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, isn't it? Not what I will, but what you will. That's, that's Him showing and modeling for us that, that uh, humble obedience, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's, that's one 
big takeaway that I got from Africa when I was there is that um, Sadu, who was uh, just a model of Christ-likeness in that whole country of Senegal, he prayed like this in public. Why are you doing that? Sadie, what's this mean? It's like it's all, it's all for him. I bring nothing to the table. I open my hands, and there's nothing there except my life, and it's his. And that's the way that his people live. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? You see the immediate problem with those statements? They are depending on their work. The only acceptable declaration uh, of the, that could be uttered, or probably won't be uttered, but could be uttered, is I'm here because you said I could come. That's it. He's going to know why you're there because he's bringing you there. But the only thing, the only reasonable explanation that you could utter for being in the kingdom of heaven is he invited you to say this stuff. Lord, I pastored for this many years. Or Lord, I, I shared the gospel in Price Chapel. That, none of that works. It is you said I could come. You made a way for me to be here. To you belong the honor and the glory and the praise forever. But to say, to say this, and so look, that's what they're doing. There's many people uh, uh, telling things about God. They're even casting out demons in his name. I want to couple it with this other one, doing many mighty works in his name. Another uh, paraphrase for that is they're doing miracles. And you're like, what? You know, what, what? The, these things are happening. You know, there's a story um, from 19th century Victoria, England. And whether it's true or not, I don't know if anybody can determine. So there's that disclaimer. But, th but the story goes like this. We've talked about Charles Spurgeon a lot. He's, a, he's that great London preacher in the mid to late 1800s. Uh, Christ-like ministry. God added to their number immensely. Had a great wide-reaching impact even till today. And ser uh, Spurgeon's sermons would be edited by him after the fact, and then printed and distributed, or even sold. And a, and a story goes that Vincent Van Gogh, who lived around that time, was very interested in the phenomenon that was Charles Spurgeon in the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And so as some sort of art experiment, he takes one of his penny sermons and, and preaches it, in the art district somewhere in London, and several people come to faith right there on the spot. Not a believer, not a Christian, experimenting with this, what he thought was a phenomenon in London. 
and many people come to faith. Does that mean that Vincent was a, that he's going to enter the kingdom of heaven? No. What does that mean? It means that the gospel actually was uh, communicated and people were called by God, but not by that man. So there are amazing things that we see people do. And we're told even in the last days, according to Revelation, we're going to see some real crazy miracles come from the evil one himself. We're going to see some sort of um, supposed resurrection from him. But you have to know this Bible to be able to distinguish counterfeits from truth. Because they will do all sorts of manner of deception to get you to look away from the glory that is God. But the more you get to know Him, the easier that will be to sniff out. It's kind of like right now we're dealing with AI, right? And, and they're doing the thing where they're taking somebody's voice and they're calling their family and telling them that they're being held captive and people are demanding ransom for their freedom. Well, if you know intimately your family members, then there's things you can ask of them that AI won't be able to answer even in their voice. We, we have the opportunity to know Him intimately through His Word by His Spirit. And I would argue that it is crucial that you take advantage of that opportunity every single day so that you're not led astray because we're told that there is an attempt to lead astray even the elect by the deception of the evil one. But we don't have to be. We can know him. So the importance of Bible study, the importance of Bible reading, the importance of your own personal prayer and quietness before the Lord as you listen to him is the most crucial way to guard against false teaching to guard against deception. Examine these things like a Berean in Acts and seek to understand if it's truth. Remember that Paul tells, remember, he, he tells uh, the Galatians, remember the gospel that you received at first? Yeah, hold on to that. When you start to let go of that and follow other things, you're being deceived. Even if an angel or us come to you with a different gospel than the one you received at first? Let him be accursed. This is the good news in these gospels. There's nothing else to follow. There's nothing else to look to. So here are these people, false teachers and those who follow alike, doing these crazy things, supposedly in his name. And he says, verse 23, 
I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They kind of become like Simon the magician who wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. Right? They, they try to use the things of God for profit. I saw a clip a couple of days ago of Jesse Duplantis. Maybe some of you have seen him, false teacher on TV. Um, and he was telling people, like, God wants you, God's not going to come back until you give to this certain ministry. Whoa. I didn't realize that Jesse was given the timeline and the prerequisite for the return of Christ when Christ wasn't even given that. So it's serious, it's important, but but here is the second part of this. It's not hopeless. It is clear. We, we can even just start with the book of nature and look around and see that God is logical and, and infinitely intelligent and gracious and kind. I think that's why you can go all the way back to chapter 6 and you can look at the birds of the air and you can see how He cares for them and you can see His desire to be benevolent and, and to, to take care of us and provide for us uh, as we have need and so everything gets returned back to him in praise and everything that we have and all the abilities that we are able to exercise all of that is not of us it's of him and so then we think about the kingdom of heaven we think about man it's a perfect place with a perfect god and i am not a perfect being how do i get into such a place well if, if you've examined the book of nature and you see that god is gracious and kind and, and, and merciful and provides all that we need, then surely he even could provide for that impossibility. And the Bible would say, yes, with God, it's possible. Not only possible, but plausible. And so then somebody with that heart and that aim and that direction would begin to seek him out, this gracious God. And he would make it known to them who he is. You know, the, the question about what about those people in deep, dark Africa who have never seen a paved road? And, uh, you know, what if they die and they've never heard the name of Jesus? You know, what, how, how's that going to work? They didn't have a chance to know him. And I would argue that's what he uses missionaries for. He'll get them there. He'll get his gospel to his sheep. He will provide the righteousness for his people to enter into eternal life. I've seen those places. And I've seen the gospel arrive there. And I've seen people be, be called from death to life, from darkness to light. And you know, before we even derived, or before the gospel even arrives in those places, they're looking for him. 
They want him. They know he's there. They don't know uh, anything about him, but they know that, that God is God. And then the gospel comes and they say, you know, we've heard about this God and we've heard about this God, but what you've just told me, that's God. So he, he makes himself known. And Christians, he makes himself known through you as you know him. You abide with him, he abides with you, and there will be fruit. The, you, there is no fruit apart from him. And so uh, we don't read this passage and need to worry that we're not doing enough. We need to read this passage and think about 2 Corinthians 13, and I think verse 5, examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. How? Well, if Jesus says that to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again, then we have to come to understand what that means. And if born again is being born of his spirit, then what would that look like? And then the picture becomes clear. It becomes clear in the Gospels. It becomes clear in the Epistles. And it becomes clear when you look at the scene around the great throne in Revelation and what those people are saying when they're worshiping. They're not saying, yippee, we uh, had a great revival and 300 people came. They're saying, praise be to God and the Lamb who was slain. They are directing focus and worship and attention and efforts to Him and His glory without paying attention to themselves at all. And I would say that, that if you are accustomed to examining yourself, kind of like David, right? Who's praying with an open heart and an open mind and open hands and saying, Lord, test me, test me to see if these things are in me. You'll also find that trials and suffering will reveal your faith. Do they make you hard-hearted toward God? Or do they draw you closer in? Like Spurgeon said, do those waves push you against the rock? Or do they send you out to wander in the sea? So, pay attention to Him. Listen to Him. Focus on Him. Seek Him. And He promises. He promises to bring you. And He's given you a large volume of assurance. So I pray that you'd respond to Him now, and then we are going to uh, take the supper together.